This episode of the Adventure Jogger podcast brought to you by Sandra Paul, Krista, Chitra Ragnathon, Sally Thompson, Michael Shields, Jen Houghton, and all of our Patreon supporters, and of course you, yes you the listener. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. James Solomon, welcome to The Adventure Jogger, man. How are you? Thanks, Ryan. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Just resting up? Uh, yeah, after that incredible race at Mohican, I think you could probably use a little rest. You've had one heck of a spring and early summer, James. I mean, I, we'll get into this later on. I mean, what you did at the Potawatomi 150, what you did at Mohican, you have have like put yourself on the radar in a major way, and you have made some huge statements as a runner from Illinois you are representing the Midwest in a very big way. And before we get into those amazing achievements, which they are, I, I want to kind of get to know James Solomon. Like, what is the James Solomon story? Where are, where are you from? We'll start there. Well, I'm from Illinois. So I grew up in Glen Ellen, which is not far from where I live now. Okay. And uh, went to high school here. I... Uh, Went to the military for four years after high school, mm -hmm. then came back and just doing some work around whatever I can find in warehouses. And then was always into fitness. So I was like a lot of going to the gym a lot. Yeah. And then I eventually just came across running after a few Spartan races. Okay. Well, there's lots to unpack in just that little, little statement. So we'll start there. Glen Ellen, Illinois. Where yep. where is that about in the state? Because I, I used to live, I've lived in Champaign and I've lived in Springfield. Where's Glen Ellen? Uh, it's probably the best way I can put it is um, twenty miles, twenty five miles west of Chicago. Okay, so you're in the Chicago suburbs. Correct. Yeah. Okay, so you are not like like downstate rural illinois which is no. i mean you, i always drive to wisconsin to visit my parents and the drive you know okay. takes me you know up takes me through kentucky and then takes me all through illinois and really you can't tell the difference between kentucky and southern illinois and it's not until you get to your know, rockford and the chicago suburbs that you're like okay this is the illinois that everyone pictures there you see the sears i refuse to call it the willis tower we oh, are yeah, we, yeah. we are we are in illinois and so the military after high school were you a runner in high school did you do cross country or anything no in high school i actually wrestled and i played on our club rugby team okay wrestling i say this as a wrestling parent not only the oh, hardest sport nice. yeah the hardest sport to watch as a parent because you are stuck in that gym for 12 hours to watch your child wrestle for a grand total of three minutes um yeah but but that's a sport that you really are in incredible shape when you are in the season of wrestling wrestlers are fit they're muscular they have endurance you have to have all of these things to wrestle you can't just like 
show up and be a blob and expect to win. You've got to be in really good shape to wrestle. And I think the biggest thing I take from my wrestling days was the mental toughness. Yes. It is so true. The mental aspect of wrestling. Can you talk a little bit about that, James? Like the mental lessons of toughness you learned as a wrestler in high school? Sure. Of course. So, um, a little background on my wrestling was that I came into high school as a 220 pound kid and my freshman and sophomore year, I wrestled at 220 to 265 weight class. You were a heavyweight. I was. And after my sophomore year, going to my junior year of high school, I had decided I was done being so heavy and I lost a bunch of weight over the summer and I came back to school at 155. Holy crap. What did your coach say when you walked off the mat last year, you were a heavyweight and now you're 150. They said that that was tough, that I was tough for doing it. And so that kind of stuck with me and I, I lost more weight throughout the season just because I kept working out and I kept dieting. And I, the lowest I got in high school was at 135. You went from heavyweight to 135. Yep. What was it, James? What was the catalyst for the change? I mean, because that, and that, let me tell you right now, folks, if you're not familiar with wrestling, heavyweight style wrestling and a weight class like 135 are two entirely different styles of wrestling. It absolutely is. Like, So with having such a big change in weight classes, I never made varsity. I was never very good at wrestling mm-hmm. yeah. because of the styles. And plus, I'm so short. Yeah. I'm, I'm only 5'4". So, um, so being 5'4", 220, as wrestling a guy who's maybe 6'2", 220, right. a lot more difficult. So... Um, the catalyst was kind of just, you know, I, I just, I I knew it wasn't healthy to be Mm -hmm. that heavy and it was just, I didn't want to not be healthy. Right. But so hard for people though, James, I mean, people at our age now we're adults, you know, you and I are adults. It's hard as an adult to make the decisions you need to make in life to lose a drastic amount of weight like you lost in high school. It's even harder for a high school kid. You know, you're a high school boy. All you care about is Mountain Dews and boobs. That's all your life <laughs> consists of. And and to make, it, it's even harder to make that decision at such a young age to make such a drastic change in your life. Well, I suppose it was like, um, I mean, I had some good influence from my, my mom. She, yeah. she definitely encouraged it and encouraged me to be healthier and fitter. And and plus, a lot of my friends were, weren't were heavy. Right. And they were in shape and I just couldn't do the stuff they were doing. Yeah. And so I thought, like, why can't I do that stuff? And so I identified the obstacles that I had and did what I had to do to overcome those obstacles, which was being heavier. Mm-hmm. That must and have been really also, hard. It was because, I mean, you say it's hard for people now. I mean, it wasn't easy for me. And I it, it was a lot of trial and error. Like I did some crash dieting in the beginning because I thought that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And then when that failed, 
I had to do something else. It, it was, it was, it took a long time, but but you made it. Figure it out. And, yeah. And so we're talking about that mental toughness. Like, what was it about the practices of wrestling, competing in wrestling, that you look back at now and say, okay, these are lessons that I've learned and mental toughness that I've taken with me. What were some of those things? Well, we had this real influential coach that he's like a local legend of the high school. Yeah. His, he was Coach Bernie Bothroyd. Yeah. And he just kind of instilled like some real good values in us. And our wrestling room had this uh, tradition for all the wrestlers who wrestled all four years in high school. Mm-hmm. They would be uh, crowned as like dungeon masters. I like it. And so... If, so uh, they called the wrestling room the dungeon and so they had their own wrestling logo was this four links like four uh oval links yeah that are connected and each link represented um four different things one was technique endurance strength and toughness yeah and so you had to put all those things together to be successful and so that's something that I mean it, it applies perfectly to to ultra running. I mean all of those things you can apply all of those those skills to become a good ultra runner. Absolutely. And just good in life in general. I mean if you follow yes. if you can be good at those four things, you can pretty much do just about anything. So high school ends for you James, and which service did you sign up for? The US Navy. Oh, so you went to the Navy. Yeah. A young man from the cornfields outside of Chicago is now in the Navy for four years. How was how was four years in the Navy? It was it was eventful. I mean, I had a decent job, so I, I scored pretty well on my ASVAB. Yeah, which is the battery test you take yeah. to get into the military to pick a job. Yeah, and I um, I was an aircraft mechanic stationed on a aircraft carrier the uh uss carl vinson cvn 70 i deployed three times yeah i have heard overseas i've heard that aircraft carrier life i mean that is a city in the ocean i mean it's it's i don't think we i don't think regular people can imagine how big an aircraft carrier really is i mean it had to been for you when you got on when you got to the aircraft carrier like oh my god this is way bigger than the gi joe aircraft carrier i had when i was a kid <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> it, it really is a mini city they, i mean they had uh two two galleys which is two kitchens that had um two cafeterias and then they had a cafeterias for just the, what they call the khakis which are officers and um E seven and above. Okay. For enlisted, so I can imagine too that on something that big, there are gyms, there are places where you can work out and that sort of thing. Absolutely, I think we had maybe three or four gyms in the cardio <laughs> section. <laughs> like, what does a cardio section look like on an aircraft carrier, James? So they had a couple. They had two, from what I remember. Because I remember one was just filled with treadmills, mm-hmm. and and I did that one a lot. And then there was one that had you know those um, curved treadmills that are self powered. Yes, they had one of those and a row machine 
that was overlooking outside, which was pretty neat. So you were able to you were able to run on a treadmill and look at the ocean from the outside of the aircraft carrier. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> like because it, it, it was on it was on like one of the upper decks. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. Wow, that's a way better view than the crappy mirrors that they put in front of you at most gyms yeah. or the right. the dirty window that overlooks the parking lot. Yeah. Or a TV. Exactly. Yeah, a TV showing Fox News or CNN or something. You're like, why doesn't this dang controller work? Here you are looking at the ocean. Would you get what was, was kind of when you're in the Navy? Is that when running became a bigger part of your life? Because you have to for PT. Yes. Um, well, it, going back to when I lost the weight, I also used running to lose weight because mm-hmm. it was like the form of cardio I thought was the hardest. Yeah to lose weight so i ran to lose weight and then um just the from wrestling the endurance part of it yeah kind of stuck with me so i enjoyed that part and it was like running was always the hardest thing to do yeah so that that's kind of where but i, n- I never took it that seriously i never like p- paid attention to my splits or ran for 10 miles i mean right just just get some time on the treadmill to clear your mind yeah right i barely even ran outside it was a lot of treadmill Mm -hmm. yeah i can imagine running do do people actually run inside the the aircraft carrier do people are there places you can run like loops or something if you don't want to do a treadmill um when i think from what i remember they allowed some opportunities to do that yeah like but they have to clear the aircraft so if the aircraft it would be like a special event to do it gotcha and it would just maybe maybe it was i want to say it was like maybe 0.15 yeah all the way down or if not two tenths (laughs) of a mile i mean it was it was far yeah running back and forth across the deck of an aircraft carrier that had to have been something that's not something everybody can say they've ever done is run back and forth on the deck of an aircraft carrier Uh, i'm sure you've seen top gun maverick and you're probably been like oh "Oh, come on (laughs) like that's not real (laughs) that would never happen like that i'm sure those things kind of kind of drive you nuts but at some point your four years are up your original your original four-year contract is up and you decide, you know, I've I've had my my time in the Navy. I'm I'm going to go back to civilian life. What was that transition like? Going from four years of your life is very regimented. You do this here. You do this here. You're on an aircraft carrier. To all of a sudden, you're back in civilian life, back in Illinois. Well, um, it was well. There was a, there was a little detour in between. Okay. Uh, military and back to Illinois. What happened was I, as I was exiting the military, mm-hmm. I found out I was getting all my stuff ready for my GI Bill, yeah. getting that prep so I can use it, right? I was planning on going to school right after yeah. my time. And I found the school in West Memphis, Arkansas, right near right near Me- Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Called Mid-South Community College. Mm-hmm. And this aviation flight school had a program there where they teach you how to fly helicopters through the GI bill. Okay. So I did that there for a year. And after a year, 
they the VA stopped funding that program in West Memphis and they canceled that program. So I had to move back home because I didn't have any money to, to move to Utah, which where they continued the program. Oh, okay. Did you get to the point of actually going up in aircraft in that one year or was it just basically the book learning and this and year two was going up in the aircraft? I got to a point where I have my commercial license for the instrument rating. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. That is, yeah. that is something. And I'll tell you what, flying helicopters, like when you look at all that's involved in that, I mean, that is not fixed wing and helicopter piloting two entirely different things that are, yes. that are slightly related because you're going through the air. But what that, what that helicopter can do is absolutely incredible. That had to have been just a blast to go up in one of those things and, and fly a helicopter. Oh, it's, it was absolutely the funnest it's, time I had. <laughs> that is so cool. But then the pro the program ends because, you know, government does what government does, and you have yeah, to go back yeah. to Illinois. So you make that yep. adjustment, finding some jobs here and there. And you said you did, you did Spartan races. What got you into, like, Spartan racing? So what, when I got back to Illinois, I um, got a little heavier again, you know, just from being at school, not, like, just – Focus on my studies and yeah. you know partying. <laughs> I uh, typical I college here. stuff. I mean, come yeah, on, yeah. It, nothing unusual. You do a little partying. You don't exercise yeah. as much. There's a little more beer in your life. I mean, yeah, it happens to everybody. Exactly. So I move back home. I get a little heavier. I'm trying to find some jobs and lose weight at the same time. And and I'm but this time I'm I'm lifting more weights. I'm just you know, doing like bodybuilding type workouts and powerlifting type workouts and just mainly just strength stuff. And I figured if I dieted right and lifted weights, I didn't have to do that much cardio. Right. Which, I mean, it worked out at the time. <laughs> For at the time. Spoiler alert, folks. He would go do more cardio later in life. And that's why he's on yeah. the Adventure Jogger. It does not stop there <laughs> with James going like, ah, I don't need to do so much cardio. I've got the weightlifting and the dieting down. And so yeah. Spartan races are something that involves some running, but there's also a lot of various other things carrying buckets up hills and yeah doing burpees and all that stuff did you see that online and like i've got to try that or how did you get involved well so like i said i was doing a lot of like weightlifting mm-hmm. and going to the gym and like going to like specialty gyms for weightlifting you know like bodybuilding gyms yeah like these like little you know um non-commercial gyms that open up catering to bodybuilders or Powerlifters. So you're saying you didn't go to Planet Fitness is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so after going to gyms like that for a while, the um, culture of the whole place wasn't really f- um, fitting my uh, – It just I just didn't fit in the culture. Yeah. Let's just say. Okay. And so I was like, you know, like I just want to work out, but I don't fit in this culture – I'm, I'm going to try to do like Spartan racing. Okay. You know, that yeah. requires strength. It requires endurance. Like I'll try it out. So I did my first Spartan race in Ohio. It was the, um, their ultra Spartan race. It was the 50 K obstacle course race. Oh, wow. So, and 
you jumped straight into you didn't do the the warrior dash 5k where you're jumping over fire at the end you jump right into a 50k with obstacles yep wow i guess you don't you really don't do anything easy i mean it sounds like james solomon wants to go all in like like seriously going from you know a heavyweight wrestler one year to wrestling 135 the next year you really like to do things big don't you james (laughs) i suppose (laughs) (laughs) don't suppose you do and so that had how far before you did this this 50k spartan race how far did you run up into that point what was your longest run leading into the training for this uh, a 20 miler okay was, all right yeah okay so, so i so i started running a little bit more mm-hmm. for sure so i did the spartan 50k obstacle horse race and i'm just like i turned to my wife and i'm just like this this was awesome but how do you get rid of what what do you do what can i do where there's no obstacles and it's just the running part right and that's how i found trail racing then i signed up for a trail race and then and then it turned into ultras so you had no idea you had no idea there was a world where you could run on trails for longer than a marathon that didn't involve burpees and carrying buckets up hills yeah. You're, you're like you're you're doing that Spartan Ultra, and you're like, this is great. But man, if they could just do something, if someone would yeah. come up with something that would do this, but get rid of the yeah. obstacles, because I really don't want to carry this bucket full of rocks yeah. up another hill. Boy, that'd be just about the perfect thing for me. And lo and behold, James, there had yeah. been a sport just for you that's been going on <laughs> since well the 1800s for a long time yeah yeah the obstacles were just getting in my way (laughs) so so you find out that yes there is a world without obstacles that you can do some running because you found you really enjoyed the running so you sign up for an actual ultra at this point yes so this was 2019 i did the spartan 50k Mm -hmm. in june yeah and then I think August, I did my first trail race. It was a 15-miler in Dixon, Illinois, with the uh, shout-out to the Yetis. And then um, the next month, I did 100K in central Illinois called Temptation 200. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that then, go? To go from um, the, the obstacle courses to now there's no obstacles, you're getting exactly what you wanted, that jumped to 100K. How did that first 100K go? It was, it, it was, um, looking back on it now from the experience I have now, mm-hmm. stopping at the 100K was just me stopping because it was the first time I had like a low in a race. Yeah. And, and at this race, it was one of those um, races where it's not like a DNF, but if you have choices to stop at 50K, 100K, 150k or 200 is the maximum okay you can't stop anywhere in between and there were 25k loops Mm -hmm. so i did four loops for 100k okay gotcha so at and how it felt was it was my first low as far as i've ever ran but prior to that race i had done a training run on my own that was a 40 miler one week and then the following week i did a 50 miler and then two weeks later i did the 100k holy cow 
Like, like who needs taper? You hadn't gotten to the part yet about tapering, had you? You hadn't, you hadn't read that book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had I had the two week taper between the fifty miler oh, yeah. and the two and the two one hundred k. But I thought that oh, was yeah. fine. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take it easy for two weeks and go into it. So interesting, James. But at some point, because you start and, and, and you, you know, you, you have some, I looked at your ultra sign up and, and you have some interest, you know, some fourth place finishes and, and what have you. At mm-hmm. some point, though, James, you put it all together. What was the first race for you when you were like, oh, wait a minute, I might actually be good at this? Um, probably there was a few more hiccups and some more learnings but the very first was probably in 2020 when so 2019 i did the 200k at yeah. temptation and i stopped at 100k right and so then i was like next year i'm doing the full 200 right so i trained up so covid happens right and i take full advantage of covid and all the lockdowns and i'm just running like a madman all summer yeah and then I, they open up races in the fall. I sign up for the 200K and I finish and I win that race. And I set a new course record. At that moment, later. when you were like, yeah. I've, I, I copped out at, at 100K this last time around and then you go win it and set a new course record. Like you yeah. must have been like, where did that come from? Absolutely, I was was surprising myself too. (laughs) (laughs) Like when you finish first, you're like, "No, seriously, there's someone else that had to have beat me to the to the fit." How the heck did I win this thing and set a new course record? Well, it was. I think it was more so because my mindset was just to finish. I wasn't paying attention to uh, my placement in the race or the time so much. Mm -hmm. I was just like, whatever I have to do to finish and. The only reason I kept running at the end was just because I wanted to finish already. Right. I wanted to walk, but I just wanted to finish. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and then Potawatomi. You do the Potawatomi 150, and, and the Potawatomi races have a 100-miler, a 150-miler, yep. and a 200-miler, and that's a looped course, correct? Yep, 10-mile loops. Just keep doing 10-mile loops over and over and over and over and over again. You do that. It, it uh, one year and you do you do pretty well you don't you don't do as well as you've done recently but you did pretty well at the potawatomi 150 last year yeah how did that all go down for you so i came into it feeling pretty good like i trained i thought i trained really well over the winter and but i think i came in a little overtrained because march i i had a 525 mile month leading into Potawatomi, which was early April last year. Yeah. So I kind of messed up my taper a little bit. You know, these are all just lessons too. Yeah, you know, 500-mile month, you know, that leading into yeah. race. Yeah, it's a taper schmaper. What was your taper a day? Were you like, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go for a two-mile run today. That's my taper it, for Potawatomi. It was, it was like a normal 10-day taper, but it was like, um, I think I was mentally – ready for the race but maybe physically i had some ailments that i didn't come out till i ran a 150. right and so i had a few few ailments i was dealing with towards the last 50 miles of that race did you learn james in your early years that perhaps that was too much were you doing too much 
at that point, or are you just a runner that responds well to high mileage? So, you know, to be honest, I've just been finding out recently uh, a lot better balance because last year I had a lot of really high mileage and I was feeling really, really good on high mileage. Yeah. And over this winter, it was a little bit more calculated, more thoughtful, and I executed it a lot better since it was a as a plan. Yeah. And I think it, but it's like my definition of high mileage might be a little bit different from someone else's. Like to me, high mileage, high mileage is probably one fifteen plus a week. Right. And so I, I I enjoy anywhere between ninety to one hundred fifteen miles a week. That's kind of your sweet spot for you. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, With cross training. Yeah. So so it's just not just running. You do a lot of you because I just look at the picture, everybody. James has abs, not an <laughs> ab. He has plural. He has plural abs <laughs> and muscles. You obviously do a lot of weightlifting and a lot of strength training. Um, not so much weightlifting. It's just a lot of body weight exercises. Really? I do a lot of yeah. I do a lot of burpees. Do you get abs like that just doing body weight exercises? Absolutely. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, James just killed the fitness industry. You just did. Everybody's been trying to tell you to buy these certain ab things. You, you are. You know what you've just done, James? You are going to flood the goodwills of America with ab <laughs> machines when you tell people you can look like that just doing body weight exercises. So you do a lot of burpees. What else? Yeah. A lot of just a lot of a lot of air squats and a lot of push-ups. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of pulling and pushing sleds. Okay, that's a, a big push pull sleds. Mm-hmm. Um, on Mondays, I usually do my squat days. I usually just do heavy squats, and I don't like to do too much volume, since the running is the volume. Yeah, and so when I squat, I like to just try to hit a heavy stimulus. Okay, on my squat. So heavy weights, short reps. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wow. I, I, can you can you write this all down and send it to me because I really want to impress my wife with some abs for for Christmas. Like if I could oh. give her if I could give her that for Christmas, that'd be the greatest gift ever, James. It's all on my Strava. Okay. Yeah. Everything's I'm just, out there. Yeah. I'll just follow you on the Strava. That's that's all I need yeah. to do. Um, but at some point, who puts it in your head to call out the 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 loudmouth of Instagram? David Goggins <laughs> on his pot of water. And I say that in the nicest way, by the way, uh, yeah, even though he won't return my calls, will not return my emails, will not return anything. I've name dropped people that he knows that I know. We have mutual friends. Won't respond to me. Um, so I say yeah, that loving. He didn't respond to me. Uh, yeah, he doesn't respond to anybody. He only responds to Joe Rogan. Like, I, we yeah. have, David Goggins, we have mutual friends for crying out loud. Why won't you return my emails? But anyway, um, <laughs> so at what point, who put it in your head to call out David Goggins for trying to crush his course record at Potawatomi? So, um, I think it, it wasn't anybody that put it in my head. It was really just me. And I, I got close with all these guys in central Illinois, yeah. you know, with the, all the races they put down, put up down there. Yeah. So I was looking at the course record for it and all the course records are from everyone out of state. Yeah. And it's like a huge Illinois race, you know, it's right. like the Illinois premier race. So I was like, someone's got to bring it back to Illinois. One of the records, you know, 
Right. And the 200, the 100, and the 150. And so I had issues with the 200 in 21. Mm-hmm. Or no, sorry, 20. Yeah, 21, sorry. Right, right. And so um, I decided to split the difference between the, doing 100 and 200, and I did 150. And I did the 150, and I finished in 2022, but didn't feel like I did my the best I could. Right. And so after a race in July of last year, I um, after Crimea River 100, I was being interviewed by Jen Heller, who's the Runners of the Corn podcast yeah. in Dixon. Yeah. And we got to talking about course records and who's got what course record. And someone said, oh, David Goggins has the 150. And then I said, yeah, until I have it. Oh, you said it on the podcast. Yeah. It was like right after a race. I'm like hanging out. I just got done running 100 miles. They talk. They wanted to talk all all this shit. And so I was like, yeah, until I have it. (laughs) I'm dying to know, James, in any of the training that you did, for the Potawatomi 150 to try and break David Goggins' record. Did any of your training involve having someone run beside you with a camera while you ran shirtless yelling, they don't know me? Did any, was, that any, was that any part of your training? Absolutely not. It involved a lot of <laughs> nighttime running, a lot of being by myself and thinking that if anybody else was willing to do what I'm doing right now, then they deserve it too. Yeah, you put in the work so, for it, and yeah, and 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 you guys, there was a there was an attempt to reach out to David Goggins because someone said, "Hey, if 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 James Solomon beats your Potawatomi one fifty course record, I'll donate a hundred dollars to the charity of your choice." Trying to get some yeah. some some play back and forth, he hasn't responded. He has no idea you broke his course record. But that had to have felt good because you really ran you ran a remarkable race at the Potawatomi 150. That was that was fantastic to see your time 31 hours and 27 minutes setting the new course record at the Potawatomi 150 and for you it had to have felt great to bring that record back to Illinois. This beautiful Illinois race, this premier Illinois Ultra and now one of the distances has a Illinois runner as the course record holder. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I wanted. I can't wait though till Goggins till someone tells Goggins you broke his record because then he's gonna take his shirt off and run outside and, and he's gonna yell at you. Well he doesn't know me. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we 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 joke, but honestly Goggins, good or bad, he has brought a lot of people to the sport and he's 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 challenged a lot of people to think outside the box when they when it comes to what they can physically do and to challenge themselves to be a better person physically so all the goggins jokes aside he has done some good absolutely i can't deny that i'm not influenced by what some of his stuff well it's hard not to because it's it's all like you open up your instagram and really it's like you're it's like you're in trouble your Instagram yeah. feed sometimes is just Goggins yelling at you nonstop. And, and, but, but I mean, he's not wrong either. Right. What he's saying. So, yeah. Right. Exactly. There's. I mean, yes, 
yes, I am soft. David, I'm soft. I admit it. That's why I am where I am today. Because uh, I'm soft. But no, and that had to, for you, you, you've won other races, but that for you, did that was that a confidence booster for you to go in and, and break a course record of someone who is so iconic and so famous? Was that, was that a real confidence boost for you? It, it was. And at the same time, it was... It was like a confidence booster to um, my training. Yeah. It was like, it was like kind of, um, you know, validating my training and what I thought would be the right path to take for training. Mm -hmm. Like you were doing the right things at that point. Yeah, correct. So the, the, the running mileage, you know, the running 90 to 112 miles a week, doing the body weight exercise, a lot of burpees. You're doing does that was was squats the only th- exercise you were doing that was weighted, other than the Correct. the sled. So all you do is just squats weighted. Everything else is body extra is body weight. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, of course the sled. Okay, yeah. so the sled has like plates on it. Gotcha. So so the weighted only weighted only weights on the sled, weights on the on the, on the squats, but everything else is body weight exercises, and that's something that you do five days a week, or or how often are you doing this? this exercise cross training so um i run seven days a week and i probably cross train three or four days a week okay gotcha okay you're putting in a lot you have a lot of time that's what it takes to get those abs people just so you know he's told you right now you want to look like james <laughs> solomon at seven days a week running that's four days a week cross training there's no couch <laughs> sitting you're not sitting on the couch getting those solomon abs um <laughs> but so Mohican is not too far removed from Potawatomi, um, and no, Mohican. It, was, it felt way closer than <laughs> I thought it was when I first signed up for the slam. <laughs> like, look at this calendar. Hmm, yeah. there's plenty of time. So you're going to do the Midwest Slam, right? Correct. Okay, and the Midwest Slam is it's Potawatomi. It's Mohican. It's not oh, that's not okay. So it's Mohican. It's Kettle yep. Moraine. It's Burning River. Um, yep. And then is it is it uh, it's the Indiana Trail, right? And hallucination. And hallucination. Okay, and that's that's the yep. that's the Midwest uh, Grand Slam. And you decided? Did you decide to do the Grand Slam before Potawatomi, or was it after? Before. Okay. Potawatomi is probably a race I'll go to every year. Okay, so you didn't want to have a light summer. You're like, yeah, you know what? I'm uh, this is going to be a heavy summer. We're not go- we're not yeah. going to barbecues. We're going to races. Coming to get this grand slam. Yeah. Yep. So pot. So you finish Potawatomi. Mohican is the first race in the Midwest Grand Slam. Mohican is this iconic, tough Ohio ultra marathon. It is not easy. It is a. Is you do a couple of loops, but there's a lot of rocks, and it has the. It has that. That the reputation for the weather is going to be garbage. It's either going to be rainy, it's going to be hot and humid. Mohican is a very tough race, and you run into Mohican, and you you run a seventeen oh two, which is ridiculous at Mohican. That far removed, not not that far at all removed from what you did at Potawatomi. To go from like, are you on steroids? Because I like that's amazing. Like that's that's amazing, James. To go from what you did at Potawatomi 
to what you did at Mohican? Did you feel good at Mohican and loose, or was that just you, you know, with some sore legs running hard? It was. I felt good, and also it was like I ran a one fifty, and this was my first hundred of the year. It's two different races. Right, you're like, well, I got it easy. It's easy this time. I've already run no, one fifty. Now it's easy. But but I could probably <laughs> stay on the gas a little bit harder mm-hmm. and longer than at the one fifty. But that how did that day go for you at Mohican? Because I mean, seriously, a seventeen oh two on that course at Mohican, that is an impressive race. That is not that's not lollygagging and just getting lucky. That's working hard. Well, we started off pretty fast and we had a, I think like it was like a four pack of us running through till probably the first two aid stations. Mm-hmm. And then um, some, uh, this guy Rhett, kind of dropped me. Yeah. He was running faster than my effort base that I wanted to be putting out at the time. Yeah. And so I just let him go. I was like, it's the first loop. He told me it was his first hundred. I was like, that's okay. (laughs) I'll I'll see you later. See you later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Like I'll I'll just worry about him on the fourth loop if he's still ahead of me. Right. And then, so that happened. Eventually I caught him on the second loop, leaving Gorge Overlook. And so now I get to Fire Tower on my second loop and I'm chatting with somebody and as I'm like leaving the aid station and I turn back around and this guy is just blazing right behind me a hundred mile. I was like, I thought I just passed him. I didn't know there was somebody else coming. Right. So then, so then I turned around like, Hey, where are you coming from? And then he, I let him pass and I start running with him and we chat a little bit. He's like, Oh, I don't stop. I was like, all right. <laughs> so then, so we, we, we chat a little bit and run together and we leapfrog each other at aid stations for a while, probably going into the third loop or leapfrogging. And on the third loop, I, I catch him and, and he, I think was in his first low or something. And I, checked in with him see if he was doing okay because he was walking yeah and then i make a pass and that was kind of i I didn't see anybody else after that this just shows you how nice james is because he could have passed him and said hey i thought you said you don't stop (laughs) 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 you you could have said that but you're just like hey how you doing is everything okay that's interesting that he's like i don't stop who does he think he is arlen glick I mean that. Oh yeah, I know, I know. It, when when I asked him, I was like, I was like, what what are your uh, what time are you shooting for for today? He said, he told me between um, fifteen and seventeen, or maybe sixteen and seventeen. Yeah. I was like, well, oh, that's really fast. I was like, I'm only I'm trying to go sub eighteen. So <laughs> it was like, do your thing, man. Right. Everyone's got to do their own yeah. thing and learn their own lessons. Yeah. So at that point, what mile was that when you when you left him behind? Um, pr- probably it was after it was in the third loop. So maybe it was like at 100K. Okay. Maybe, you know, he was at 60 or. Yes. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. 60 because because it, I still had a lot of that third loop left right so so you have 40 miles essentially where you're in first place just moving no one's pushing you anymore at this place because at this 
point in the race because you're just so you're just continuing to get farther and farther ahead. Well, I don't know how far I am. I keep thinking that someone's coming up behind me the rest of the race because I go into an aid station um, prior to being in first. The aid station people would tell me like, oh, that the person was five minutes ahead. Yeah. Two minutes ahead. But now when I was in first, no one could tell me how far who where second place right they can't predict that they're like well i don't know i mean no. we look and see oh it looks to me about you they have you have no idea yeah. where, who's coming no up behind idea. you so i had no idea who was behind me and how far they were for the rest of the race so i just i mean i just did my thing i just ran hard do you like and that feeling of not knowing what's behind you and the feeling of being chased no, I like I like hunting better. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. no one left to hunt though, because you had 40 miles of no hunting. You were being hunted for 40 miles, and there was no hunting for you to do. That's what it felt like. But I kind of switched my mindset to um, from hunting to bearing. Aha! So talk about that a bit, James. The mindset switch between hunting, looking for the people ahead of you and burying talk about that for a minute so a a lot of not a lot but like some of the races that i've won i've had um some bigger leads so there's no one there to push me but i don't want to let up like i don't want to be that guy who's like oh it's in the bag now i can let off the gas and because i want to pull the best out of myself i want to get leave it all out on the course. So I make the mindset switch from from being from from hunting, which I'm trying to catch the next person, to burying, which is whoever's behind me, I'm trying to make a bigger, bigger, bigger gap. Okay. As big as I can make it. I'm going to destroy like they're you're I'm gonna roll second place is gonna roll into an aid station and they're gonna say, Yeah, first place is about an hour ahead of you. Is this ain't happening. Like you wanna crush their dreams of catching you essentially that's okay yeah. to say no no yeah. it's always like yeah. i know it sounds horrible when you say it that way yeah. right like like it sounds horrible to say like i really want to crush someone's dreams of catching me but no i mean that's it's okay that's where the brain goes in competition if that's what fuels you if i'm putting words in your mouth you please correct me but if that's what fuels you if that's the feeling there's nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's a spirit of competition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's why I said it was burying. I yeah, mean, right? You I'm weren't. You, to, you didn't say it nicely. You said burying. Your burying was your words. So, yeah, I yeah. Did. Right. I did. <laughs> <laughs> you just leave them in the ditch. Right. You're not leaving notes for them at the aid station saying, "Dearest second place, I hope your day gets better. If I'll see you soon. If you pass me, just say hi." Like you're not doing that. You're not leaving a gift basket for them at the aid stations. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> so, 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 James, when did you know that you were going to win Mohican and win the first race in the Midwest Grand Slam? I, I honestly only let myself feel like I won and know when I when I actually crossed the finish line. So, how did that feel crossing the line, winning Mohican? It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I surprised myself. Yeah. Yeah. It was so cool. 
well, it's a big race, especially after the after the the Potawatomi one fifty. Yeah, and, it's probably the biggest race that I have ever placed in. So yeah, it is. Mohican is is a big deal. You're going into Kettle. Well, as of the recording of this episode, you've got the Kettle one hundred uh, very soon. Is the yeah. goal for the Grand Slam to win all the races of the Grand Slam, James? Uh, I want to get under a hundred hour total hours. Okay. For the full Grand Slam. Okay, so that that may shake out to a couple of top five finishers or whatever. Your goal mainly is to get under a hundred hours in the Grand Slam. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I I wouldn't bet against you. Yeah, I'm I'm, I, I'm just saying <laughs> I wouldn't bet against you at all. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because it does seem like this could be the year of the Midwest, James. When you look, yeah, you're telling me. Yeah, I mean, we look what you're doing, and there's so many great runners from Illinois. I think a Corey Waltering um, is yep. such an incredible runner. Taggart Van Etten is. Oh yeah, he paced me at Potawatomi. Did he? If you didn't know, yeah, you did. He's such a cool he, dude. He, I love Taggart. I know. Yeah, he paid, and I listened to uh, your guys's podcast. That's, That's awesome. Cool. Did you know Taggart before Potawatomi? Yeah, yeah. So you paced Tagger at, at Badger last year. Oh, that's very cool. That's re- that's yeah. that's awesome. That's really cool. But you know, what is it? And you think about the great Illinois runners, but also the fact that the person that a lot of people are saying could win Western States, Arlen Glick, is oh, from yeah. Ohio. What is it, James, about Midwest runners that they're having such a breakout year this year? Um. We're tougher. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, but there's got something to prove, right? Like a chip on the shoulder, yeah. almost. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, I guess, like, um, yeah, like a chip on the shoulder being overlooked, and you know, I, I, I think the real difference is is altitude. It's just the only difference. We have just as hard races out here than they do out there. Yeah, it's just altitude. Do you think the heat and humidity of the summer in the Midwest? can make up for that um like you mean from a midwest runner right do you think like do you think like that can can equate because i've heard very often james that humidity running in humidity is the poor man's altitude training i heard that too but i mean i don't know i i've never experimented with that but i don't i personally don't think it would it works okay all right well you have to i think you have to acclimate to actually be able to mm-hmm. run at altitude so you think altitude is a big difference between the runners that's what makes the difference between the races is yes we have tough races out here but it's just we just don't have don't have that altitude do you think that not having the big mountains is is it is a disadvantage that you have to make up for with all the sled work and squats that you do oh yeah yeah of course not having like uh one single climb that's 1300 feet tall that's a mile long that i can just do you know yeah like a 10 mile loop that has 2000 or 2500 feet of gain right like i have to do hill repeats on a sled hill right you're you're in illinois there's not that much climbing in the entire damn state no <laughs> that's you can't get a thousand feet of gain driving from one one but the bottom of the state to the to the top of the state is there an attitude exactly. thing james do you think is there is there a mindset of the midwest ultra runner that is slightly different 
Um, you know, it's hard to say because I haven't met too many Western racers. Yeah. But just because I'm a Midwest runner who, you know, wants to do as the best I can, I think, yeah, there's a, I think we take a little bit more pride from where we come from. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I, I also attribute it to having harsh winners. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you because know? just like it sucks right. training outside in the wintertime. Right. And and it like I guess it hardens you. Yeah, those hardy those you haven't you haven't uh, lived through winter unless you've lived through a hardy Wisconsin or Illinois winter. Yeah. Especially where you're at, right yeah. up there there near the border. Um what's next for you, James? Yeah, we got the Grand Slam. We know that the Grand Slam is going to take place, but but you have to have now the confidence of even bigger goals, knowing what you've done at Potawatomi, knowing what you did at Mohican. Do you have bigger goals in mind for maybe next year? I mean, there, I have an ultimate goal of getting to Western States and making a top 10 finish mm-hmm. because why not? I mean, why couldn't I? If, if I put my time in, if I train, if I have a few more years under my belt of experience, yeah, why couldn't I do it? I think that's so, reasonable. Again, I'm not going to say it ain't going to happen because you never bet against James Solomon. <laughs> you know? I think so, you- but um, I have I have a few races that I'm eyeing for next year. A lot of them are on the East Coast. Okay. What are some of the races you're Eastern looking for? Eastern States. Yeah. Okay, Eastern States is a good one. Eastern States, yep. Um, no Business, 100. Um, Cruel Jewel. I, I know you spoke to um, Joe Miller. He's also a good buddy of mine. Yes. And and he's I I think it was so cool. He went sub twenty four at Cruel Jewel. That's incredible. Yes. No, it's insane. It's insane. Cruel Jewel is he's one the of the fourth person to ever do it. Yes. From Illinois. I know. Fourth person. It's so amazing. And Cruel Jewel is one of those races that it's ridiculous. It yeah. is, and there's the whole, I don't know, did you go out there with them? Did you pace them at all on that course? No, no. Okay. No. There are whole sections of that course where you're going up and there is no switchbacks. You're just going steep up, steep down. It is a yeah. brutal, absolutely brutal course. So going sub 24 at Cruel Jewel is, I mean, that is an accomplishment and a half right there. That's, yeah, I'm I'm looking I'm looking to train up to do something like that. Good stuff, man, James. I, like I said, I wouldn't bet against you. I think we're gonna have big things coming from you. I mean, you're only a couple years into this sport. Um, before before I leave you, what is one lesson as you have transitioned from the Spartan Ultra, where you're like, man, this would be great if you got rid of those darn obstacles, to you know, winning Potawatomi and winning Bohican, what are some lessons that you've learned in your early career of ultra running? Um, probably not to be afraid to take risks. I think, I think from, from what I've seen, not just from myself, but like other racers, um, I think there could be more risk taking. People can afford to take more risks. Like what, race. like what do you mean by that do you mean like like maybe not running so conservatively maybe going a little yeah. hard like redlining a little sooner yeah 
You're basically I, saying I, we're a bunch of we're a bunch of wimps, James. You're just saying that no. we're we need to we put our foot a little further, a little harder on the gas. No. <laughs> no, but have you seen those guys who who are finishing the race and then all of a sudden they have this last quarter mile where they're breaking out into almost a dead sprint to the finish? Yeah, it's like to me, it's like where was that earlier? Maybe like that was that was mm-hmm. potential that could have been used. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, for for my finishes, I'm I'm running. When you see me, that's that's me running. Like that's the best I can do now. <laughs> right. Right. You know, like I've I've left it out there. Basically, what James is saying is, if you're at a race with James Solomon and you get to the finish line and you're not hobbling afterwards or falling into a chair, <laughs> he's gonna be like, "Where was that? Where was that? Come on." <laughs> <laughs> you may call a person or two out, James. Oh gosh! Unleash oh, your in- call. Unleash your inner goggins, James. Got unleash your inner goggins and call some people out if they're if they're not hobbling. You didn't leave it all out on the trail. Oh, I'm not gonna call anyone out. <laughs> <laughs> well, James, That'd be mean. that would, and that's the Midwest in you right there. That is the <laughs> typical Midwesterner going like, mm, no, no. I be- my mom always said, mind your business, and if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's the Midwest way, right there, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 